Ready? Born ready. You are tuning in to another episode of Where the Party At. This is your podcast for what's happening politically in Atlanta, Georgia, and beyond. All right, y'all. It's been a whole week since our last episode. By the way, every Tuesday is when we drop new episodes. So just go ahead and be sure to subscribe and you'll get that episode as soon as it comes out. Yep. All right. So what has happened Obviously, in Atlanta, we had the election, the runoff elections. So, Atlanta is about to have a mayor named Dre. Andre Dickens is officially going to be the 61st mayor of Atlanta. Andre Dickens won by the largest margin in a runoff since the 1993 election of Mayor Bill Campbell. That is impressive. He had a very clear, resounding win. Uh, It is just important to note how can we as a city boost voter participation. Only around 20% of eligible voters actually came back out to participate in the runoff election. That's a real problem. Uh, The 18 to 29 age group had the lowest level of participation than any other age bracket. I'm really curious about why these folks aren't voting at the local level, why they did not come out. In the, in the general election and in the runoff. So in addition to swearing in a new mayor at the beginning of the year, we're going to have a lot of new council members. So just a reminder for the city council, there are 12 district council members. Three of them are at large. That means they represent the entire city. And then you have the council president. They oversee the council. So here's where the new council members are going to be from. Districts 1, 3, 4, 5, 6, 8, and post 3. The post 3 seat is Andre's current seat. Now, what's unique about District 6 and 8 is that they are new council members, but they're not new to the city. They actually served on council before. That's Alex Wan in District 6 and Mary Norwood, a name you all know in District 8. Now, if you don't know Alex, he was the first Asian American and first LGBT male council member representing District 6. In 2017, Alex ran for council president. The person who ended up winning was Felicia Moore. Um, Well, so obviously we'll have a new council president because Felicia lost, and that person will be (laughs) Doug Shipman, um, or as we on the Eldridge uh, media conglomerate, we say vote for Doug every time we see him. It's an inside joke. Vote for Doug. So I was doing the rundown of just how different the council will be. And it's going to flip from majority man- woman to majority man, which is kind of interesting. So there will be 11 men, four women, and a male council president, and then obviously a male mayor. So I think the last time we had a male mayor and a male council president was, again, back in the Bill Campbell days. 
So as a woman, I've, I mean, I feel a little bit sad about that. Uh, so to the question people keep asking me, how did Felicia Moore lose so badly? Well, I did tell y'all a couple of weeks ago, Felicia was the Falcons up 28 to three in the Super Bowl, <laughs> and she was doing everything possible to sabotage what should have been an inevitable win. All right. So I'm not going to go too deep into this because, you know, it's, I don't want to like make this a Felicia bashing thing, but let's just quickly talk about how Felicia lost three things. Uh, Felicia thought that she could win with the Mary Norwood coalition from the last election. That means you dominate the North side, you win the East side, and then you get about 25% on the South side. And that's basically what Felicia did in the general, but it did not stick for the runoff. Now in the runoff, she did get more votes in Buckhead, but she lost votes everywhere else. Even crazier on the East side, that's where she lost the most votes. I mean, it was like they absolutely ran away from her. That leads me to my next point. Uh, the general election was about anybody but Kasim, right? ABK. And that's why Felicia did so well at first. But once the election was no longer about Kasim, she didn't give folks a reason to stick with her. One of the key rules of the election is not only do you give folks a reason to vote against your opponent, but you have to give them a reason to vote for you. And then my last point about this is uh, I made this earlier point about how many men, you know, won seats in, in the city. And I wonder if a woman could have won um, before I start getting hate mail. I'm not, again, not taking anything away from the campaign that Andre ran. Uh, but if you look up and down the ballot, Men beat the female candidates. Uh, and of course, I've already... Hey, don't give me that. <laughs> uh, and I've already talked about, you know, in previous episodes, all the numerous things that Felicia did to uh, really hurt her chances with black people and with progressives. So you can check previous episodes and see what I said there. All right. So now that Andre is the mayor-elect, you could expect some announcements about his transition committee and the inauguration. So in Atlanta, the new mayor and the city council won't be sworn in until next year, right? So in the meantime, Andre has to make sure there's a seamless transition in city operations from Keisha Lance Bottoms administration to his administration. Now this should be pretty easy and straightforward, especially considering the fact that Keisha Lance Bottoms did endorse Andre. So expect over the next few days and weeks to hear about who was part of that transition committee. You'll hear, I imagine, Andre lay out his plans for his first 100 days in office. Now, one of his big challenges is going to be kind of similar to what Joe Biden has dealt with in his first year as president, balancing the needs and wants of progressives versus the more conservative parts of the city. Right now, the mayor is responsible for hiring and firing all department heads or commissioners in the city. They're responsible for Atlanta housing, invest in Atlanta. Uh, and when Keisha decided that she was no longer run for re-election, she talked about one of her biggest regrets was not firing people earlier when she took office. So I'll be interested to see what Andre does there. Um, are there people who he'll bring in who are more progressive than some who were there today? 
The other thing is Andre's going to have to contend with Buckhead Cityhood. Now, remember, the folks pushing Buckhead Cityhood were in that anybody but Kasim camp, and they were pro Felicia Moore. So I'm curious to see what he does. You know, Andre could take the approach of just letting Buckhead leave and not putting up a fight. Um, he could instead maybe focus his energy on making sure Atlanta receives whatever money would be owed to them from the Buckhead City. Uh, and then reconfigure the city budget to make sure that the city's going to be financially strong. So he could take the approach of, if you want to leave, goodbye. Just pay me what you owe me. Um, a couple of other interesting things happened uh, in last week's elections outside of Atlanta. South Fulton. Now, we joke in Atlanta that Atlanta's Wakanda, but if you head a little bit further south, the city of South Fulton likes to say that they are actually Wakanda. So Bill Edwards was the mayor of South Fulton. He's also a former Fulton County commissioner. He was defeated badly in his reelection bid uh, by one of the South Fulton council members. His name is Khalid Kamau. So Khalid Kamau is now the mayor elect of the blackest city in America. No, seriously, the city of South Fulton is like 92% black. Dang. So what's so interesting about this election is that Khalid is a member of the Democratic Socialist of America. So he's DSA. Uh, here's what he said when he launched his campaign, and I quote, Black people deserve to be free from economic exploitation, environmental racism, from institutional forces that drive the disparities we see in our communities, and everything from health to educational outcomes. And Khalid was endorsed by the Working Fam Families Party of Georgia. By the way, Working Families Party, uh, which is just a national party. They're based in Brooklyn. Uh, they had a pretty big uh, showing in this election. They made a number of endorsements in the November election, including folks for Atlanta City Council. Some of their picks are uh, folks like Liliana Bakhtiari, who's in District 5, Jason Dozier, who's in District 4. Uh, so for Khalid, I'm really curious to see how he's going to govern over the next four years as a DSA mayor in a majority black city. That's just kind of fascinating. <clears throat> for the people, DSA, is that super far left? Yeah, it's basically okay. Bernie bros. Mm, thank you. <laughs> um, and, and what's interesting about that is you don't necessarily think of black voters as being Bernie bros, right? And so I'm curious to see how whole. Is that uh like that Vincent Fort camp too? Is that mm -hmm. kind of that? Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, Warner Robins, so a little bit further south, uh, they also had an interesting election last week. Uh, Warner Robins is about 20 miles outside of Macon. It's home to the Robbins Air Force Base that employs more than 25,000 people. Just to compare, Delta has like 30,000 employees statewide. So that military base is a huge economic engine. All right, why am I highlighting Warner Robbins for you? Because they just elected their first female first black mayor. LaRonda Patrick, she defeated a two-term incumbent. This guy had been involved in city politics for more than 30 years. Interestingly enough, this election really came down to kind of like 
fiscal responsibility and management. She was accused him of a lot of mismanagement. Um, and so for a younger black woman to come in uh, and take that role was quite impactful. Uh, if you don't pay attention to politics outside of Atlanta, first of all, you should, because Atlanta is a bubble. Um, but there is a decent black population in middle Georgia. There's also a decent Democratic population in middle Georgia. But because there's so many Republicans in power, they're not always seen. Those Democrats are not always able to bubble up to that local political landscape. So if I'm Abrams, I'd be certainly making sure I'm friends with LaRonda. All right, speaking of gubernatorial, all right, so the day after the mayoral election in Atlanta, Stacey Abrams announced that she's running again for governor of Georgia. Now, for me, the best part of the announcement was the reaction from Donald Trump. But I'm going to be here in a year and a half, and I'm going to be campaigning against your governor and your crazy secretary of state. That I can tell you. Uh, in true Trump fashion, he found a way to take her announcement as an opportunity to take a big steamy dump on Brian Kemp's reelection effort. Here's what Trump said in a statement, and I quote, the MAGA base, that's make America great again, just will not vote for him after what he did with respect to election integrity and two horribly run elections. Some good Republican will get my endorsement and some good Republican will win. Again, that was Donald Trump talking about Governor Brian Kemp. So I sent that statement to a Republican friend of mine and they just replied back and said, my party needs an exorcism. <laughs> they just can't shake Trump. Uh, all signs are pointing to David Perdue. Okay, y'all, it's December 2021, and the Republican primary for governor between the incumbent governor, Brian Kemp, former Senator David Perdue, and Vernon Jones is already off to a pretty crazy start. Uh, it is going to be an absolute bloodbath. And there are even some rumors that Governor Kemp will pull uh, something basically like what Keisha Lance Bottoms did and end up not running for re-election. I don't know if that's true, but we all know that Kemp's chances are getting a lot harder because David Perdue is in the race, because President, former President Trump has made it his life's mission uh, to make sure that Kemp is a one-term governor. If not for Trump, Brian Kemp would not be the governor of Georgia. But the man giveth, and the man is about to take away. Uh, Trump is making it quite clear that he is going to do everything he can to get Kemp out of office. Why? Kemp has not bought into Trump's big lie that the election was stolen from him. For the record, Trump asked the Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger to find him 11,780 votes in Georgia. And there was, this was actually recorded. Uh, now, speaking of, let's listen to a clip from a right-wing talk show that took place last week. Uh, the woman whose voice you're about to hear is Debbie Dooley. 
She is one of the co-founders of the Georgia Tea Party. Uh, she's a big uh, Vernon Jones supporter. And in this clip, she's talking about Kemp making a recent appearance in Oconee County to a group of Republicans. This is going to help give you a sense of what Brian Kemp is facing from within his own party. She said last night, and she said that she asked Kemp about, uh, you know, forensic audit, and Kemp got very angry with her and yelled at her. And just, I mean, he yelled and screamed, and there were almost 200 people there, but a lot of the folks that attended were there to question Kemp about why he's not doing enough to correct what happened in 2020 and ask for a forensic audit, and they were there about the mandates. He's not moving fast enough. And interesting enough, Kemp was just endorsed yesterday by the Georgia Chamber of Commerce. Well, that figures. They, I mean, that, that, that's his base. I mean, the, the Chamber of Commerce and the yeah. globalists and the sellouts and the cheap labor and the slave labor force. I mean, that's his base, right? Buckhead money, yeah. right? Incumbent, right? So we know that. In fact, you'd be shocked if he didn't get the endorsement of the Chamber of Commerce. But, Debbie, I tell you what, there's something else. Damn. Oh, boy. I feel for Kemp. Okay, so speaking of Trump and the big lie, there's a group called Republicans for Voting Rights who have purchased billboards in a few states, and there's at least one in Buckhead that says on the billboard, Trump lost no more audits. Now, they're running these billboards in states that have either done audits or are being pressured to do audits. So that's Georgia, Florida, Texas, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Virginia, Wisconsin, and Arizona. The folks behind this group are national Republicans like Bill Kristol, who are just determined to not let the January 6th attacks on the Capitol be a reflection of the Republican Party as a whole. Now, by the way, these folks issued a democracy report card on the Congress, and they graded Congress people based on things they said or did around the January 6th attack. Spoiler alert, every Georgia congressperson received an F. Every Georgia Republican congressperson, to be clear, received an F. Very poor. Uh, except for Representative Austin Scott, who received a D. Just poor. So it's no wonder that folks like you, when you're listening to this podcast, when you're seeing the news, you're saying to yourself, America is losing its mind. Speaking of another peculiar thing about America losing its mind, there's a fourth generation KKK member running for the Lumpkin County Board of Commissioners. That's in Dahlonega. <laughs> I'm not going to mention this guy's name. I was actually kind of hesitant if I should even bring it up um, because it's, you know, that balance of not giving attention to uh, someone who's, you know, a bit nutty. So this guy went to jail in the 90s for beating a black man in Maryland. Uh, in 2017, he marched in that Charlottesville white supremacist demonstration. You know, the one where they were shouting, Jews will not replace us. Like this was some, you know, Hitler group. It was just insane. And then last year, uh, then Senator Kelly Leffler took a selfie with him. And after she was called down on it, she said, oh, I don't know the guy. Now, is this dude going to win? I don't know. I'm Obviously, we hope not. Uh, back in 2017, 
the owner of a historic building in Lumpkin County where he's running, put up a sign uh, on that building and stated that it was a former KKK meeting hall. And the city council or the city removed the sign because it caused a big stir. And there's just there's a the person who owns that building is kind of in the same vein as this guy. They're both very right wing, you know, white supremacist type of activity and behavior. It just amazes me that we're still dealing with this kind of stuff in 2021, about to be 2022. So (laughs) in this same vein, remember last year, or excuse me, last week, when I asked if we could see a civil war in our lifetime. So it just so happens that Harvard Kennedy School's Institute of Politics just released their twice a year survey. It's called the Harvard Youth Poll. And it's on the state of politics in America. They poll people 18 to 29 across the country. This came up in that poll. So here are some key findings, and it's quite troubling. A majority, 52% of young Americans, believe that our democracy is either in trouble or failing. Only 7% of young Americans view the United States as a healthy democracy. Young Americans place the chances that they will see a second civil war in their lifetime at 35%. The chances of at least one state leaving the union, 25%. And then those numbers are even a little bit higher for Republicans. Republicans think a civil war is more likely than Democrats. A couple of other interesting things in this poll, uh, Biden's approval drops to 46% among young Americans. A majority of youth disapprove of the way that Biden, Democrats, and Republicans are handling their jobs. No surprise. And then another thing, more people agreed with this statement than not. And I'm going to read you this statement. Elected officials meet in the middle at the expense of my preferred policy priorities. And so it's really a question about compromise versus getting what you want at all costs, no matter what. Another data point that's concerned, young people are stressed the hell out. More than 51% of young Americans report having felt down, depressed, and hopeless. And 25% have had thoughts of self-harm at least several times in the last two weeks. Now, I don't know if it's, obviously we have a pandemic going on. I don't know if it's that being vocal about those types of feelings is more um, accepted today than it was years ago or what. Um, But that's a real point of concern. They're concerned about climate change. They're concerned that about the country's future, and they don't feel that older generations are as concerned or even more concerned that they are. The kids are not all right. And it just leads you to wonder what's going to happen to the country if these are types of things that continue to fester in our democracy. Okay, another big story. I feel like this is just a Debbie Downer depressing episode. I'm sorry. Um, Another big story that is really important to talk about. You should know about this. Um, 
Over the Thanksgiving week, Vice, Vice News broke a story that is just now starting to get some traction. It's about Operation Blooming Onion. Yeah, that deep fried thing that you get at like uh, Applebee's or somewhere like that. So the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of Georgia has announced Operation Blooming Onion is one of the country's largest ever human trafficking and visa fraud investigations. Who is being trafficked? Migrant workers. Mexican and Central American laborers were brought to the U.S. to Georgia to work on farms as modern-day slaves. This story is so sick. Here's what the acting U.S. attorney for the Southern District said in their press release. The American dream is a powerful attraction for destitute and desperate people across the globe, and where there is need, there is greed from those who will attempt to exploit these willing workers for their own obscene profits. Thanks to outstanding work from our law enforcement partners, Operation Blooming Onion frees more than 100 individuals from the shackles of modern-day slavery and will hold accountable those who put them in chains. That is remarkable. So... About 70,000, yes, 70,000 people came through this fraudulent program. These migrant workers were threatened at gunpoint. Their passports and other documents were taken from them to make sure they didn't try to escape. They were threatened with violence, with deportation. Uh, one person in the indictment, referred to as victim 12, was repeatedly raped and kidnapped. Again, I'm going to read you some bits from the indictment. Forced the victim to work in fields digging up onions with their bare hands. Only paid them 20 cents for every bucket they filled with onions. And threatened them with a gun to keep them in line. Another, victim 61, was charged fees he could not afford, confiscated his cell phone and identification documents, to prevent him from leaving or communicating with anyone, and then abandoned him and left him stranded in the United States with nothing, claiming there was no more work. Another unlawfully sold approximately 30 workers to a conspirator in Indiana for $21,481. Another Victims 15 and 16 escaped the work camp with an electric fence. They hid in the woods and were rescued by the federal agents. This is in Georgia. Now, this crime ring did all of this and made about $200 million in profit. These farms need to be outed. This is absolutely sick. And we need to have an honest conversation about agriculture in Georgia and in the South. And to be frank, I'm not convinced it's a conversation either party is actually going to be willing to have. But this story should prompt extreme backlash for the kinds of business practices that were allowed to send humans to America, exploit and use their bodies 
and then discard them without a care, all for the almighty dollar. It's like we just don't learn from our past. And the same families, you know, that same energy about kids in cages and families in cages, that energy needs to be brought into this. Um, so, so I know this was a bit heavy, but it's just, it's insane. And it's, it's wild that it's not on the front page for the next three weeks. You know, I subscribe to uh, one of those weekly, I think it's called a CSA community something, something, but it's basically where you uh, pay a certain amount of money and you'll get fresh produce from local farms delivered to you. And the produce is is definitely more expensive than if I just went to Kroger or Publix, right, or Aldi's and, and bought my groceries there. Um, but reading this story, I'm like, all right, I can take that hit because at least I know that the practices that from getting that food to me, no one was harmed in that process, right? Those were local folks. It was not this, again, modern day slavery. Um, it's just a, it's a really sad story and I hope there's some real outrage about it. Okay, I really did not intend um, to end the show on such a somber note. So <laughs> there has been a lot of not good news lately. You know, UGA lost. Sorry to my brother who's a huge UGA fan. <laughs> Uh, and I'm old enough and smart enough to know that I would never assume the Falcons are going to win. So we're not even going to go there. <laughs> but um, all I can leave you with is, and, and I'm thinking about uh, Virgil Abloh, who passed unexpectedly uh, about a week ago now, is that you just never know what people are dealing with in their private lives. But they just don't share, right? I mean, you just heard that stat about kids in um, 18 to 29 who are going through depression and having serious things in their life. So all I can say and leave you with is give somebody a hug, help folks out in your community, pay it forward, you know, have that conversation with a friend that you've been meaning to have, call that person who's been on your mind uh, because tomorrow is not promised and you just never know what's gonna happen. I'm yeah. Saba Long. This was another episode of Where the Party At. Have a great week.